0: Welcome into another edition of the Designated For Assignment podcast. Rob Wong and Josh Goldberg with you, as always. You can find us on your favorite podcatcher. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore Pod. You can find us on our personal accounts: Rob Wong thirty four and Jay Goldberg twelve. It was a tough go for the Blue Jays this week, Josh, to say the least. Losing their first series of the season, they got beat up in Cleveland, two and five. For the week as well, uh, Guardians getting the last laugh on the Blue Jays and their fans. Everyone uh, calling them losers, making fun of Jose Ramirez for staying in Cleveland long-term. But he looked pretty good. He's looked good all season long, and uh, Cleveland takes three of four from the Blue Jays. That being said, this is a team still in playoff spot, sitting 17-13 and 13 on the season, Josh. But the uh, Pythagorean theorem win loss record would uh, put them at 14 and 16 as it stands right now. Still have a pretty good chance of making the postseason. I'm looking on baseball reference. They're at 89%. I think Fangraphs has them a little bit over 90%, but there is some concern. There is some worry among Blue Jays nations, Blue Jays uh, fans looking at this team and wondering, are they as good as people initially thought? There are some guys that are underperforming. There are definitely some guys that are overperforming at this point, but where does your level of concern stand right now? Because I was uh, trolling people after the game on uh, Sunday. Always a great time to troll people when yeah, uh, the always. Blue Jays lose a game, but... It does feel like that right now where fans and, you know, we from time to time, and I'm sure other people as well, observers of this team are kind of living and dying with uh, every win or every loss because this season obviously has a ton of expectations. This is a team that has been spoken about as a World Series contender but uh, here they are 17 and 13 kind of you know up and down right now but still in a decent spot so uh, where do you stand right now through 30 games
1: okay so let me just say off the top here that there's a difference between playing like shit for a week which they did they played like shit it was a shitty week they played like shit i can't understate that not and being an outright shitty team i've seen a lot of oh well the jays are trash they suck they're terrible they had a bad week. Like Maybe it's a lot of people said, oh, well, you know, maybe they're overrated. Maybe we all overrated them. Perhaps that does end up being the case. But there's just there's no nuance. There's no middle ground anymore. It's either. And like I'm sure I'm guilty of this. You're guilty of this. We're all guilty of it. You know, that's just uh, unfortunately maybe part of the era we live in there's no middle ground. Like were they as good as maybe they were playing early in the season? No. Are they as bad as they played last week? No. Is their run differential good right now? Absolutely not. They're fortunate to be 17 and 13, but, Like, they're just not going to hit this badly all year. It's just not going to happen. I refuse to believe that it's going to happen. It's basically the same lineup as it was last year. I understand Marcus Simeon is gone. Marcus Simeon's hitting, like, absolute shit in Texas. Oh, yeah. So would you want him in this lineup anyways? He'd fit in perfectly uh, right now. (laughs) You know, Matt Chapman hasn't been great, so... But like guys have a track record here. I, I just, I, I can't get behind the, the rationale of, well, this team's just not going to hit the way that we thought that they did. Maybe they don't, but even if they don't, it's not like there there's just no way to me that this isn't a top 10 offense at the very least when it's all said and done in most of the major categories. And there's enough pitching here. Would I like another le- weapon in the bullpen that can miss bats in front of Jordan Romano alongside really Tim Meza? Absolutely, I would. Maybe you address that. but there's still a, a good enough base here that I, you should be not really all that worried. Yeah, like teams play like trash over the course of 162. It's just gonna happen and you can't lose your cool every time they go through a skid. It's just it's counterproductive. Like if you had asked me before the season this 30 and 30 get one game hellscape that they had to start the season, they were going to go 17 and 13. Yeah, I would have taken that. Would I have expected it to look the way that it has looked? No, but the end result is the same. And I would argue that you should probably be on the contrary optimistic that they've played this way. They've managed to basically max out their win-loss record considering they haven't really played all that well. You would like to think better days are ahead offensively and more wins and more lopsided wins are going to come. I'm going to continue banging that drum until probably the season ends.
0: Yeah, and I think it's exactly what you said. There's just not enough nuance for, for a lot of this and a lot of times. And I mean, God, how many times in the past were you and I called apologists or you know, shills oh, for yeah. post-game Fuck. shows when we were You know, talking about this team and trying to be on the optimistic side. I mean, we're both, um, with regards to this team, pretty optimistic about their chances moving forward here. So it's not like, you know, we're just saying these things because we're trying to paint a rosy picture. There's definitely some, you know, cracks in the armor here, and there are some issues with this team, but it just feels like you, have, you do this every single season, right? With a baseball season, you just don't realize like how long a year is and mm-hmm. how much of a sample size you really do need to figure out, you know, what is legitimate or what is not. I mean, just go back to last week and we're going to talk about him. but you say Kikuchi has the best start he's had all season long. And what's all the talk now? It's like, well, I mean, if he's giving you this and it's like, what are we doing here? Like yeah. people two weeks ago <laughs> wanted to send this guy on the next train out of town he has one good start and everybody's back in like that's just <laughs> how reactionary this is right now with this team that every little thing is just setting people off one way or another. So feel free to live that way. Feel free to live your baseball fandom, however you want. Um, you know, we're just here to tell you, like, if you're just going to do that, you're going to drive yourself insane. Yes. For you 162 games. And you know, the reason why we like to take this, you know, big picture, look at a lot of things, because We just know historically that it's a fool's errand and it is stupid to just take a week's run of baseball or even a month's run of baseball and be like, this is what's going to happen because we do it all the time. You know, we come from uh, obviously a talk radio background and, you know, there's a lot of that that you're trying to generate conversation. You're Mm. trying to generate a hot take if whatever you want to call it here and there. But a lot of times you're just going to look really dumb. And God knows I've looked really dumb for a lot Mm -hmm. of things that I've said in the past. And I believed a large percentage of it, Mm -hmm. but you know, that's the mistakes that you make and you learn from it. Right. Me (laughs) jumping on the Derek Fisher or Brandon jury train. Like I've learned my lesson for things like that. Uh, You know, that's partly why I probably can't, you know, quit some of the guys that are on this uh, current team, uh, Julian Merriweather, um, but you know, who's now down in the minors, but you know, that kind of goes to show you um, where we're at with that, but it's just, yeah, take a deep breath let it play out. And as you said, the fact that they are even four games over 500 at this point, considering how bad it's mostly been the offense, you know, considering how bad the offense has been, you know, the fact that you've banked 17 wins and knowing that there's brighter days ahead, you know, that's great. Just, you know, Run with it here. You finally get a legitimate break. It's just one day off, but you get a bit of a break here to just step back and kind of take it all in and look at this, you know, standings. And here you are, you know, four games out of uh, four games over a half games, you know, four games out of first place to New York, but I mean, it, that kind of hurts, right, that the Yankees and Rays have gotten off to such a phenomenal start. But you've gotten off to a good of a start as well, whether, like you said, uh, it's by their own volition or they've gotten a lot of help. Um, their bullpen's been great. That they're only four games out right now mm-hmm. first place is, you know, pretty, pretty strong.
1: Yeah, like I understand, you know, people were getting on the bullpen, you know, Simber not missing enough bats. Like you live by the sword with Adam Simber, like we saw on Sunday. He pitches to contact. It's not always going to be rosy. There are going to be some situations where that happens. You know, Tim Mesa blinked for the first time this season. Owen Miller got him for a home run. He's been incredible. The offense can't continue to just paint their bullpen, push them into a corner where they have to be perfect and, and hold these one run leads. You know, the Jays, how many hits did they have again after the first inning yesterday? One unacceptable against. Connor fucking Pilkington. Like I, I, I'm telling you, I I don't know who Connor Pilkington is. Maybe he ends up being good, but if you're a good lineup, you got to take it to guys like that. It just like, I, I understand that, you know, sometimes you just are off balance and the Jays are swinging at a lot of weird pitches and a lot of pitches that are just on the outside part of the zone. And they're popping a lot of balls up fair bit of soft contact. How many meatballs, Has this Jays lineup not been able to time up really all season? There have been moments because guys are always going to time it up on occasion, but way too often you've seen guys just caught in between and a lot of pop ups, a lot of fly balls. Maybe the baseball has kept some balls in the yard, but there's been more soft contact than I, I think anyone would have foreseen with this lineup. But I, it's just, there's, again, it's, there's too much talent. I'm, I'm just not going to assume that this Blue Jays lineup is going to continue scoring, you know, two and a half to three runs a game and five hits and in nine innings and continuing to really struggle with runners and scoring position. It's just, to me, it's not really something that uh, is sustainable. It it just, it it, it can't be. I, 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 if it is, then I don't know, like I I might need to renounce my baseball card and (laughs) I might not ever ever be able to talk about baseball again. If I get this one, this wrong.
0: Well, just think about how many outlier seasons you would have to have on the wrong end of things, right. For it to not work out for this blue Jays team. And and a lot of the issues that they've had has Mm -hmm. been runners in scoring position. I mean, that's, that's really the, the crux of their issues that they haven't been able to drive guys um, when they've had them in that position. Cause I, I look at the, you know, numbers right now for this team and then I'll just quickly bring them up here, but like George Springer having a great season, statistically, mm-hmm. 150 WRC plus that's like right in line yeah, with yeah. the top end of, you know, mm-hmm. his production, Vladdy's at one hundred and fifty four. Sure. It's not the crazy numbers he was putting up a season ago, but that's extremely above average. The yeah. Oscar just came back. One thirty-eight. Espidal has been a huge surprise at one thirty. WRC plus. You've gotten a lot out of Zach Collins. You've gotten a little bit out of Tyler Heineman, and then everybody else is below hundred. They're below league average. So Alejandro Kirks in ninety-seven, but he's starting to heat up. Mm-hmm. Matt Chapman feels like it's going to be up and down all season long. And then you've got, you know, Lourdes Goriel Jr. and Bo Bichette who are scuffling along. But, you know, obviously with Bo, he's starting to come around a little bit as well. So, you know, those guys are not going to be 89 and 81 WRC plus players for the rest of the season. Like historically, they have never done that over a full campaign. Stretches, absolutely. But over a full season, it's going to end up being where it usually is. Like that's just Mm. how it works. So, I mean, you know, if those guys start to improve, Vladdy George and Teoscar continue to do their thing I mean how does this not turn around it's like you said you would have to have the biggest miss of all time that you know these Blue Jays players just for whatever reason uh, they got monstarred, or you know it was uh, homer at the bat and each guy yeah. uh, did some crazy random thing like Vladdy's pulling people out of a house fire or something and <laughs> he's just not available for any of these games like that's how ridiculous it would have to be for this offense to just completely fall flat on its face for the rest of the season. So, I mean, you know, are they the 2021 Mariners and they're just going to scuffle along here and win a ton of games by one run and, you know, have a Pythagorean win-loss that's way above, you know, what they're actually producing? Maybe. Maybe. And I mean, the Mariners didn't make the playoffs, but, you know, they were obviously in it and still was an exciting season for their fan base. So I guess maybe it would be exciting for, you know, Blue Jays fans to be in the thick of it. But even at that point, I mean, uh, you know, we'll get there when we get there. We are definitely Far, far away from having that conversation. So uh, we talked about the bats, of course. We don't seem to have a ton of concern with them. They're going to figure it out. The pitching, on the other hand, you know, they can only do so much. I mean, Kevin Gossman can only go out there and, you know, uh, shut down offenses for so long. Same with Alec Manoa, who just seemed to hate every single baseball on Sunday afternoon. Uh, I don't know if Major League Baseball is playing a joke on him or whatever, Uh, With the baseballs, but, uh, you know, maybe they got them from some hardware store. Like, I'm not sure what was going on there, but they were not up to Major League standards. And I think a lot of uh, Major League pitchers would say that right now. But, you know, the pitching staff still doing as much as they possibly can. And one guy that I talked about before finally had his best start of the season. And that was Yusei Kikuchi, who, you know, it's been a work in progress, as we've all you know talked about for this year. And you didn't know when it was going to come. But I figured at some point we were going to see a bright spot, maybe you know light at the end of the tunnel. And he's not completely out of the tunnel, but right now he at least has a flashlight uh, Josh, you know, in this tunnel that he's going through right now to try to come out on the other end as a better pitcher. And out of all the teams to do it against, the New York Yankees were the last team I expected say Kikuchi to have that type of performance against, especially with the way they're swinging it right now with all their crazy good right-handed power. But here he goes, uh, seven, sorry, six innings, one run, seven strikeouts, just one walk, which has been an issue for him. He's, you know, throwing that harder slider now. The splitter looked pretty nasty. You know, mm-hmm. obviously he has the The big fastball. Was that enough for you? You are the Kikuchi guy here of this uh, podcast. Was that enough for you to see maybe like, you know, uh, some light at the end of the tunnel here? Did a a switch get flipped on for uh, Kikuchi moving forward?
1: Well, I'd love to say yes, and hopefully that that's the case. There, it's there are going to be molehills here that are that are still going to be popping up that he might fall into. I like I'm not just going to say that while he figured it out against the Yankees for one start, that he's going to start continually putting up you know five, six, even seven innings of competitive baseball time in and time out. I think that there's a decent chance that he does that more often than not because the stuff is just. It's really good. It's always been really good. It was just a question of having him more consistent. And we talked about this last week before his start and and talking about the concerns that, that were there. He was making major adjustments to basically every piece of his pitching identity, not just his arsenal, like scrapping that trash cutter, which we have just been calling for to get rid of. He's kind of done that or made it a hybrid with a slider. So that's been important. Throwing more fastballs. But he's also made a mechanical adjustment while trying to incorporate a new kind of pitch mix. That's a real big undertaking to take on during the season. So you're going to expect some rough patches where maybe it just doesn't all click in. You're out of sync. You revert to maybe your old mechanics a little bit or your old comfort zone. And you're just maybe caught in between. And maybe we've seen some of that in the early going. And on whatever day it was, must have been, you know, Wednesday uh, against the Yankees or whatever it was, he just looked more comfortable. His his mechanics looked repeatable. His delivery looked repeatable, looked pretty easy. It didn't look like he was trying to think about things. He just was going out there and letting it rip. And I think that's kind of what he has to do. If he's kind of in his own head and, and thinking too much on every pitch, every at bat then I think that that can be where he gets into trouble. But he was really walking an insanely high number of batters through his first couple of turns in the rotation. And that's never really been his calling card. He's not somebody who has a microscopic walk rate for his career, but he's never really been a big walk pitcher. And, you know, seeing it spike the way that it did, I think there was a point he had walked as many as he had struck out. I think it was going into that start against the Yankees it was just a case of he clearly was struggling with everything. And it looked like at least for one night, everything sort of synced up and that's a good confidence booster. And, and, you know, if he can tap into that again, like he's just faced the Red Sox, Yankees and Astros. And I know that the Red Sox, like maybe aren't what we thought that they were going to be, or maybe they are what we thought they were going (laughs) to be uh, for some, Uh, it's been tough. So like, if he can, Back it up with another good start against the Yankees. That would be great. But like I continue to be pretty positive about him because like why would I abandon ship when I hadn't through the first month? And then he does that. Yeah, I'm definitely excited about it. But I'm I, I would say cautious, still cautious.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One start is not going to make a season, but it was just nice to finally see some progress. And I'm sure for him as well because he's obviously been you know hearing from Pete Walker and the pitching coaches like, hey, this is what we want you to work on, and he's thinking all right. And he goes into a start and he's trying to work on it in game and he's trying to find his mechanics and it's getting, you know, taken over the fence. He's, you know, walking dudes, and he's thinking, like, geez, is this ever going to click? And then he finally has that start where it just all comes together and it's got to be the light bulb, you know, going on moment where he's like, okay, like this seems legitimate. They seem to know what they're talking about. And I think it's exciting that he got tons of whiffs uh, on his stuff as well. I mean, 31% whiffs on the fastball, 41% on the cutter, only through 14 changeups, but he got 50% swings, uh, sorry, whiffs uh, on the changeup. So I think that was, you know, pretty exciting to see uh, with regards to Yusei Kaku. So uh, it's a great start. It's a good uh, jumping off point, but obviously we're going to see need to see a lot more before we get uh, super excited with his prospects, uh, especially with the way things started at the beginning of the season. When it comes to the, the bullpen, you talked about a guy in Adam Simber and you know there's going to be some moments he's been incredible as a Blue Jay oh, yeah. but when you don't strike anybody out you are just open to you know giving up bad hits that squeak through the infield some you know bloopers to the outfield or you know he gives up the uh, occasional bomb from time to time which isn't going to happen a whole lot but you know you look at this bullpen and it has been taxed I mean it really has for the entire season they've pitched so many uh, innings and especially leverage innings right it's not like they're pitching in three run ball games or you know four five run six run ball games it's been a lot of one run games and you're coming in here these are stressful innings stress, uh, stressful pitches on all of these guys arms so you know we're starting to see some cracks here and there It's the ebbs and flows of the season, I think, ultimately, Josh, where, you know, bullpens are going to go through weeks where they're not particularly good. And then they're going to go through weeks like the Blue Jays had the first, you know, three weeks of the season where they were absolutely phenomenal. And they're still phenomenal. They're, you know, one of the better bullpens in all of baseball. But, you know, here they are sitting um, with a lot of innings uh, pitched so far on the season. Do you have any concerns about some of these guys? Whether it's a uh, Jimmy Garcia, you talked about Tim Mays giving up a home run to uh, Owen Miller. We've talked a lot about Jordan Romano, who's got a bit of a break this past week because the Blue Jays uh, lost a lot of games. But uh, where do you stand right now with uh, the Blue Jays bullpen and uh, how uh, their usage is going and, and how their performances?
1: Well, I would say that like. Yeah, I, I'm I'm certainly concerned about workload and and just that catching up. Anytime you just continually throw a bunch on a couple of guys' plate over and over, you're going to eventually wear those guys out. And there's going to be some. You're not just going to put up zero after zero after zero. It's just not going to happen. And we've sort of seen that come to fruition here of late with some cracks uh, in the foundations of that bullpen. But like, I still think that the core principles of the pen are solid. Like, I, I would feel good about most of those guys, you know, in a leverage situation or holding a lead. Yeah, I, I Would I like another weapon? Like I said, absolutely. And I'm sure that the Blue Jays are going to look to find a way to do that. I think that the one concern that you could have that I think is fair and was probably a question mark going into the season was, was there going to be enough strikeout stuff? in leverage spots beyond just Romano. Tim Mays is just a monster. I, I understand he gave up a home run to Miller, but I have no concerns about Tim Mesa I like keep doing what you're doing, pounding it, the zone, you know, a lot of movement, getting ground balls. I have no concerns. But you look at the Simber we talked about, not a ton of strikeouts. Jimmy Garcia's okay in that regard, but he's not overpowering you. He can't just come in and blow upper 90s with tons of movement. He's got to be kind of precise in terms of commanding both sides of the plate, even though he has mid-90s in his arsenal. And then obviously Richards, you know what he is. Changeup's good. He's good. Change Changeup's bad. Like we saw against the Astros when we were at that game, he gets hammered. So I'd, I'd like to see somehow, some way, maybe Nate Pearson is that guy who can come in and miss bats at a pretty high clip because I still do think that that bullpen... I could really use that.
0: Yeah, they absolutely could. And Nate Pearson continues to work his way back, been throwing some bullpens, and it's just going to be a huge boost because he's a guy that obviously can go multiple innings uh, in that bulk role. So that'll definitely uh, help things with uh, some of these relievers that have been used quite a bit early on in this season. Want to get back to the rotation quickly because one guy that I'd be lying if I said I don't have any concern with right now, and Kevin Gossman's been great. Alec Manoa's been great. You know, I think Ross Stripling's been very serviceable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of it is I uh, don't have super high bar for Ross Stripling. Like yeah. I know going in, he's going to do what he does. It's going to look pretty good from time to time. He's going to have you know a few you know blow up innings here or there, where maybe he walks a couple guys, gives up some bombs. But I mean, that's who Ross Stripling is. He's a swingman and a guy that I think can be a very valuable piece. But Jose Barrios has just not been good at all this year. And I think mm-hmm. even in the starts where the numbers. Look good. You know, I think about uh, that start he had against the Red Sox, where he only gave up two earned runs over seven innings, but got whacked like all over the ballpark. And he's been giving up hard contact all season long. And it was very concerning, Josh. His last start, Uh, The weather obviously wasn't great in Cleveland, but not getting any strikeouts. You look at the season's numbers now, his K percentage is 14.8%, which is down from a career high of uh, 26% for uh, last season, split between, obviously, Minnesota and Toronto. Like, that is such a significant drop that look, I don't uh, necessarily know the ins and outs. I'm not pitching Ninja. I'm not Pete Walker. You know, I don't know the mechanics and everything that's going on here. I can only, you know, look at some of the stats and try to, you know, discern what's going on here. But the guy's giving up a ton of hard contact. He's not striking anyone out. You know, is he tipping pitches? Is, you know, he just not hitting his spots well enough? It's hard to know exactly. Only he and Pete Walker and the coaching staff know. But... It just hasn't been good. And I am a little bit concerned, not that I think it's going to continue. Like he taught, as we talked about with the hitters, he has a track record of being a very, very solid pitcher, being an above average pitcher, but man, it's just hard to watch right now with uh, Jose Barrios. And every time he steps on the hill.
1: Well, I think I saw a a tweet uh, that he's had a couple of two starts already. And I guess what, six turns, five, six turns without a strikeout, I believe that only happened once last year in over 30 starts. So something's a miss here. Something doesn't really register. Like he admitted that his breaking stuff just wasn't as good in the weather, but like he's had good breaking balls at times. And then it just, it seems like he hasn't put it all together. When his fastball is good, his breaking stuff isn't very good. And when his breaking stuff is good, his fastball is not very good. And I just feel like if his fastball command and his fastball effectiveness is waning or inconsistent, then he's not going to be very good. He's just, it's going to be straight. It's, it's not going to do, it's going to be kind of flat and it's going to be very hittable. And I think that too often this year, the fastball hasn't been as crisp as we saw it last year. And it's been getting waxed teed off on regularly, like his baseball savant page would thrive in the North pole. There is a lot of frigid blue on that page, a lot of uh, disconcerting, Uh, percentile ranks when, when he's usually been pretty good. Like last year, he had some rough moments and then he adjusted his mechanics. I think it was against the Tigers. He struck out double digits and he was basically money in the bank the rest of the season. I'm not, I'm with you. I am. I'm definitely alarmed. I'm not full blown panic yet, but it is very much on my radar and I am going to be very curious and keeping a keen eye on what he looks like on Wednesday against the Yankees, that matinee game, because he really needs a good start. The Blue Jays need him to have a good start. He needs to have a good start. He needs to start stacking some good results together because it hasn't been good this year. Like I know, like you said, he's had some longer starts where he's been able to evade, but his strand rate has been high. He's been dodging, you know, grenades left, right and center and that eventually catches up to you. And it kind of did. He got got Babbitt to death a little bit against Cleveland. Yeah you know, that kind of stuff has a way, if you're relying on contact, it has a way of finding you eventually. He just has to find a way to miss more, more bats. 14% K rate is unacceptable. It's gotta be, like you said, 22 minimum, but like arguably in that 23 to 25 or so percent. So he's got a, a, a real road to climb to get it back to where I think we know it needs to be.
0: Yeah, we're in, like, Kyle Hendricks territory that's, here with the strikeout yeah, rate. That's not that's good. not good. I mean, he's no. not Zach Greinke, who uh, no. is just relying on his defense every single time out there. But uh, it's just insane to see a 14% strikeout rate for a guy like Jose Barrios, who has nasty, nasty stuff. Um, you know, we'll have to see where things go here. Like you said, that start against the Yankees is going to be massive uh, for him moving forward here. And it's, it's just a lot like you say, Kikuchi. Like, I need to see the results one, but I just want to see good process. And, you know, that's what we saw in the last start for Kikuchi. And, you know, we haven't seen it pretty much all season long for Jose brios There's been yeah. some, you know, moments here or there where, you know, it kind of comes back and it looks like the old guy and then he'll just lose it all of a sudden, or, you know, give up some hard contact and you're like, okay, well, there's something, you know, not right here with uh, Jose Berríos. Sorry. We, I got to get to our listener, Questions As always, you can find us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod got a lot of good ones this week. As per usual, we begin with uh, Veronica, who says, how are we getting away with good pitching overall and miserable runners in scoring position numbers is RS RISP something that can be improved soon and is it really a relevant metric to measure how good a team is is well I mean look generally runners in scoring position if uh, you're hitting well that means you're scoring runs and you're probably a good team so you know it is definitely a relevant metric but on the other hand Josh when you're a team that uh, is not putting up very good numbers with uh, runners in scoring position it's you know one of two things either you're you are really bad and uh, you're not a team that can score runs because your offensive players are below average or you're just getting unlucky and I think you know for the Blue Jays right now I would tend to lean more, you know, luck than the fact that they're not particularly good. Now, they've had some guys that aren't very good come up in pretty key spots where they have runners on base. But, you know, we talked about it. George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., you know, Teoscar Hernandez. Those guys are very good offensive players. Uh, They just seem to be going through a tough time right now with runners in scoring position. And it was kind of wild even seeing on the weekend when they, uh, I think it was game one of the doubleheader on Saturday where they uh, scored a bunch of runs on uh, with two outs uh, early on in that ball game. And it just felt like, okay, who are these guys? We haven't really seen a lot of that this year, especially with uh, two outs. So, you know, there's a lot of luck that obviously goes into runners in scoring position and driving in those runs. Uh, people love to talk about the clutch factor and you know deciding when you're going to drive in these runs. I mean, that's just not realistic. There's a lot of variance um, with that stat, but yeah, generally. Uh, if you're hitting very well, you're a good team. And if you're not hitting well, you're bad. But I think for this Blue Jays team, there's, you know, like you talked about off the top, there's a lot of nuance. And I think right now we're just seeing a team that's uh, getting pretty unlucky with uh, some of these hits because they are, you know, hitting the ball hard in a lot of these occasions. Um, But they also are having some pretty poor ABs with men on base.
1: For sure. I I think that it's a little bit of both. There have been some bad at bats, but I looked At some point early in the Cleveland series, their numbers and runners with runners in scoring position and their BABIP with runners in scoring position, there was quite a disparity. Like they've been hitting well under 200, like in the 160, 170 range. And when I looked, their BABIP was closer to 300, like in the 280, 290 range. So there's been some bad luck. Sometimes, you know, the BABIP can be a little bit of a misleading statistic, but. You can think of a number of times this year. There was a, I think on Friday night, uh, Alejandro Kirk, or it was, they had a situation where they were down a run. Somebody scalded a ball with a runner at third and less than two outs right at the second baseman, took a run away, and they didn't end up scoring. So stuff like that has happened. There have been some piss poor at bats. Like yesterday, when they had Pilkington on the ropes in the first inning with nobody out. They just couldn't get it done, and the at bats were bad. Like Guriel advances the runners over, and then you know Chapman, oof, Chapman was horrible on Sunday. Geez, Louise, that was brutal to watch. Has a terrible at bat, and then Espinal short pop up. Like we talked about, too many of those, and you know you're left. Oh well, you got two, but you easily could have had four or five with a, a, a unknown pitcher on the ropes, and he let him get back into the game, and then he completely shut them down, and that's happened far too often. So I don't really know how to explain the runners and scoring position. It could just be um, a bigger symptom of what's going on. But like, I don't think that if you struggle to hit with runners and scoring position, that that means you're a bad offensive player. Or you're a bad offensive team. There is a little bit of, I think for fortune sometimes smiles on you one way or the other. And like we saw last year, the Jays had a horrible stretch in August with runners in scoring position where they it literally seemed like they were incapable of getting a hit, like <laughs> much like they are right now. And then we all remember what happened in September. So, I, 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 again, I think that something like that is far more likely to happen than not.
0: Yeah, I don't think we need to tell Veronica this. She watches enough baseball, and a lot of people do as well. Uh, baseball's hard, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of luck involved in baseball. It's uh, a round bat hitting a round ball. Lots of different things can happen when you uh, put that all together and the Blue Jays just seem to be on the wrong end of things for uh, a lot of the games with runners in scoring position Duncan says if the bats stay cool like they are uh, you might even say they're frigid uh, how long will it be until Bo and Vladdy bat in different spots regardless of their preferences and this has been a conversation not even like this year it's been going back to last season as well and we did see a lot more movement with the you know lineup of course we saw Bo bat cleanup for a, a long stretch we saw him in the two hole it was you know dependent on injuries and who was playing that day But I think, you know, Josh, we're kind of in a spot right now where it's so early on in the season. You know, we're only one month in. Charlie Montoyo is just trying to get these guys going, first of all. And and Bo Bichette has started to come out of it. But... You know, I don't think he feels like he needs to right now. I mean, I think he wants to have guys where he ultimately would like them to be, you know, when they are swinging in and he doesn't want to create any sort of a a panic move. That doesn't mean that Bo Bichette's going to bat two and Vladdy's going to bat three for the entire season. You know, maybe at some point they're going to have that talk. And um, if we get there, but, you know, from all the conversation that uh, I've heard and other people that cover the team have talked a lot about it, Vladdy likes batting third. And, you know, sometimes you kind of just have to bend the knee to the franchise player. If he says he wants to bat three, you kind of just have to let him bat three. It's tough to watch. I think we would all like to see him in the, the two hole. We've mm-hmm. seen him there before. And, you know, Springer, Vladdy would be a phenomenal one-two punch. But, you know, he's kind of got some clout on this, uh, on this team and in this organization. And if he feels like his, you know, best uh, ability is batting in that three spot, and that's where he's going to personally provide the most value, I think you kind of just let him have to go with it for now and uh you know try not to upset the apple cart.
1: Yeah, like I we are both definitely pro seeing him bat second. The only thing I feel certain in saying should never happen against Rymal Tapia just can't be hitting the oh off no. ever yeah. again. That just was egregious. It's happened and it just can't happen uh anymore. But like as far as changing the batting order around, like I I don't really put a lot into that that you know, you're going to get a hitter going by bumping him down in the lineup. Like you're going to light a fire under his ass to to play better stuff like that's bullshit to me. Like that, that never really resonates. If anything, just continue to show confidence in your guys. Like I understand that, you know, sometimes you got to change things up. And you know, if you rattle a guy's confidence, what does that say about just his overall psyche as, as a professional athlete, as a ball player, I understand that. But like when it comes to Bo Bichette, if he's if he, he's got to be batting in the first four, and Tay Oscar to me is always going to clean up when he's healthy. And if Vladdy wants to bat three, he's batting second. Springer stays leadoff. I, I understand that you know, maybe you'd like to have his bat a little more of a premium run production situation instead of leading off the ball game. But you don't mess with one of the best leadoff hitters uh, of all time. Honestly, yeah. he really is, he really and- is. And you just don't. So I think like you're moving things around, but your core guys are basically going to stay stay where they are, stay where they are. And, and then it comes to like you know Kirk and Guriel and whoever else you want to move that around, sure. But your core guys, they're the engine of this team. And until you know Teoscar gets back and healthy, Bo starts hitting, Vladdy gets it going, really again then this team, I think, is going to continue to scuffle a little bit. And you just have to hope that that happens soon. And the guys in the bottom third of the lineup, Lourdes included, get it going a little bit Chapman as well. And you start to see this lineup turn over and you know flow into itself a little bit better and start obviously putting up more crooked numbers.
0: Yeah, and I think some of this, too, is the fact that the team's winning games. I mean, they're still 17 and 13, and they're four games over 500. If they were maybe 13 and 17 or, you know, 10 and 20, then, you know, Charlie has a bit of a leg to stand on to come in there and be like, guys, we got to, you know, shake this up. We got to try something different here. But you're kind of sending mixed messages. So I think, you know, the players here, they're playing well for the most part. Yeah, they're scuffling. They haven't scuffling for a while. But all of a sudden, they come in and you're like, we're just going to blow this whole lineup up. and we're going to do something new. I mean, baseball players, athletes, they're creatures of habit. And I think a lot of that, you know, plays in here too. You know, baseball players like continuity. They don't, people don't like change in general. And uh, baseball players are no different. So, you know, Vladdy's been batting three all season long. He would like to keep batting three. Bo has been batting two, same deal. George Springer, as you touched on, should be batting leadoff. That's where he's most comfortable. So they're not going to, you know, change those guys around, especially uh, when they are still above 500 at this point let's grab uh, one more question here it's from Sean feels like we talk about this every single week Josh but uh, Sean asks is it time to move on from Kevin Biggio, who uh, is just on an island by himself right now, uh, working his way back after going on the COVID IL, hasn't been activated just yet, I believe, down uh, in AAA with Buffalo trying to uh, get back into it. The old baseball activities uh, we always like to talk about that uh, players go through before they get back onto a diamond. But, you know, out of sight, out of mind, I think, for a lot of people is Kevin Biggio at this point. I think very similar to Yusei Kikuchi, who people wanted to send out on the next train. Uh, They would have been okay if Kevin Biggio was. Was nope. also on that train a couple of weeks ago. There's still a small amount of people out there and uh, you're included in that. Yes, I
1: am. Of course. Still I am. Uh,
0: Thinking that there's something there. I'm a little less certain, to be honest. I, uh, you know, I think I do have concerns about his ability to hit a fastball, you know, positional flexibility. That's great. But, you know, I think second base is probably his you know best home, but it all comes down to the bat. Uh, That's what he came up to the major leagues for. He was uh, really good down in double-A had some nice moments in, in triple-A could draw a walk Could give you the occasional Homer. It's been such a tough last couple of years for him with injuries, of course, and with uh, COVID this year, Um, it hasn't been great. And, you know, we talked about routine and habit. He really hasn't been able to get much of any of that, going over the last uh, you know 18 to 24 months but you know it's interesting because I, I looked at santiago espinal today and i was reminded this guy's 27 like people think about espinal as like some 23 24 year old kid but he's you know getting closer to 30 than he is uh, 20 at this stage and he was able to you know make enough changes the last couple of years to become a very productive major league player now they aren't the same guy by any means. I mean, Espinal's is way more athletic than I think a guy like Kevin Biggio, but you know, who's to say that he can't make adjustments and, and find something still, you know, on the right side of 30, the blue Jays have him under control. You know, I don't think they're going to give him away, especially at where his value is right now, but you know, I'm still holding on to like a glimmer of hope. Are you holding on to, to more than that with regards to your Kevin Biggio stock?
1: Not much more. It's been rough for a while. And, and, pitchers have adjusted to him and he hasn't been able to have a counter to that. But in terms of, is it time to move on? Like, I don't really know what that means. Like, are you talking about DFA and Kevin Biggio? Cause that's not happening. Are you talking about trading him for pennies on the dollar? That's probably not happening either, either. I think his days as a regular on this club are for all intents and purposes over, unless he does something completely uh, unforeseen and, and finds it. Santiago Espinal is the everyday second baseman on this team. He's been one of the best players on this team. I don't like. Is that a good thing, bad thing? I think it should be seen as a good thing in some regards. But the fact that he has had to be is an indicator that other guys haven't pulled their weight. But if he can continue playing like this when other guys are hitting, then you're very excited and encouraged about it. But yeah, like the the rope for Biggio, he's like he's really got to pull himself up. He's right at the edge of it. And uh, he's going to have to figure some stuff out in a hurry.
0: Yeah, we'll have to see where things land with Cavan Biggio. I don't think we've seen the last of him as a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. But as far as you said, uh, a regular everyday player that uh, I think has unfortunately past. Time to wrap it up and as per usual, we will get to our players of the week, something we like to call the Tay Oscars. And uh, it's probably good cuz Tay Oscars finally back but uh, not a big enough sample size to be one of the nominees this week. It'll be Santiago Espinal, 899 OPS over the last 7 games. Our boy, Yusei Kikuchi, who pitched six innings, gave up one run and struck out seven against the Yankees. Alejandro Kirk, finally hitting that first homer of the season, had three RBI, seven for 21. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was eight for 25 with a homer and three RBI as well. Not exactly, uh, you know, a banner week for uh, a lot of the Blue Chains players. Josh, pretty uh, pedestrian numbers for some of these guys. But uh, who are
1: you giving your Teoscar to this week? I'm going to go with Alejandro Kirk. Uh, You know, A lot of people, I think, were expecting him. You know, he's like he's got that husky frame. He's a catcher. People, I think, thought he was going to be a real power threat. That's not really ever been his calling card. He's just a complete offensive player who covers the plate, doesn't strike out, can draw a walk, and his contact skills are very good. You know, he went a really long time without an extra base hit. Like I believe it was over fifty plate appearances. It was not tremendous. He was not hitting the ball particularly hard and he was hitting too many ground balls because he was making too much contact and hitting into all sorts of double plays, but you've seen it of late. He's starting to drive the ball with more authorities going the other way. Finally pulled the hands in, hit a home run. He's a very valuable player and Danny Jansen should be back. I would think, you know, certainly before the, by, by the end of the month before the end of the month, and that's your catching tandem. You know, Zach Collins has been a nice story. There's been some moments, but he has an option. I expect he'll be down at triple A and when the, you know, with the rosters shrinking and pitchers, I guess, sooner than later, you're not going to be able to carry as many, I guess, by the end of the month, you're not going to carry three catchers. It's just, it's just not good business for a major league team with a non expanded roster. So I'm going to give it to Kirk. I'm encouraged. He's been a, an above league average uh, offensive catcher. I think 11th I saw in WRC plus with a minimum of 50 plate appearances, which says more about the catching position. Yeah, probably than, Yeah. Which doesn't <laughs> say much, but like, and he hasn't been great. So the fact that he's still been a, an average or better offensive catcher, I think speaks to what he can do. And I expect he's going to get hot uh, before too long, like real hot. And uh, there's going to be some good moments from him. So good week, good building block and uh, very encouraging to see and expect more of that going forward.
0: Yeah, I'm just taking a quick look at it right now. There's like three qualified hitters that, uh, at the yeah. catcher position That's that are cool. over 100 WRC+. plus, yeah. So it's not great, uh, but yeah, it's uh, good to see Alejandro Kirk coming around. A lot of interesting candidates, like I said, but I think we're going with Santiago Espinal. And it's, you know, the bat has been great. You know, we talked about 130 WRC plus on the season, but the defense is just feels like it's gone to another level you know, playing second base full time. Um, he's making great diving catches out there, getting to a lot of balls, you know, getting to a lot of balls up the middle as well when he's on the, uh, you know, the second base side of second base. But that shift has done wonders for the Blue Jays this year where they basically shift on everyone. Like it's, it's outrageous how many times that they are in the right position to uh, field the baseball. But uh, the bat has been great. The glove has been great for uh, Espinal as well. So he is my Teoscar for the week. Well, it will be a big week for the Toronto Blue Jays. They've got a pair of games against the New York Yankees in the Bronx, beginning on Tuesday nights. Before heading out to Tampa, the House of Horrors, for three against the Rays. Before returning home, May sixteenth against the Seattle Mariners. As always, you can reach us on Twitter at DFA underscore Pod at Rob Long thirty four at Jay Goldberg twelve. Send us your thoughts and your comments about the Toronto Blue Jays and also get us on your favourite podcatcher wherever you find it. That'll do it for us this week. We'll talk to you in a week's time. This has been the Designated for Assignment podcast.